Rational discussion, common sense, open debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. Well, a few weeks ago, we chatted with Dr. Glenn Davies, a Topo GP, and we were talking then about how to reverse type 2 diabetes, improve heart health and all of that. And many of you got a lot out of that conversation. And I invited Glenn to come back to talk more, and this time about a vision or a version, whatever you want to call it, of a healthcare system that would kind of replace what we're doing at the moment, because I think a lot of us realize that while it's sort of the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, it, it's really not making sort of the progress that maybe we need to in the future with um, not only restoring many people's health, but maintaining that restoration through their lives. So Glenn has agreed to come back and talk some more. Glenn, good to see you again or hear, hear you again. I can see you, but the listeners can't. <laughs> yeah, fantastic to hear and see you again, Paul. Likewise, and you've got the southerly uh, at the time we're talking coming through your area at the moment. We had it uh, earlier today where I am. So um, that was an interesting chat last time, and I got quite a bit of feedback uh, through the email on that, thanking us for talking to you, and people came away with good ideas. And I think for some, judging by the, the tone of the emails, it was kind of a, a revelation to a few anyway, uh, who are obviously struggling with that condition or, or having it treated a symptom relieved in other ways. But uh, the, the really bigger picture question is, how do we organize our health resources going forward? And I guess we've been doing pretty well the same thing with you know modernization, science along the way, uh, discovery of new um, drugs and medicines, et cetera. But fundamentally, it's uh, unless you want to correct me, it seems like it's pretty well the same thing. You have a vision for a, what, a different sort of, health system or more evolved health system. Is that correct? Yeah, it is, Paul. Um, just before I talk about that, I, I just want to be really clear that any criticisms or any suggestions that I make, uh, none of them are aimed at the individuals. And I think if you look at health professionals, without exception, they are caring and wonderful individuals. So please, I want to make it really clear that I'm not aiming at any of this at the individuals. This is aimed at the system. And I think it is a system which is failing and a system that is fundamentally flawed. And I don't think we're going to fix it by tinkering. I think we need a major overhaul. Or, well, it sounds like a reinvention even. Is that too strong? Yeah, it is um, a complete rethink. And so i just like to start saying that I think the hospital based medicine is functioning pretty well. I, I think that when you look at our Auckland Hospital or our Rotorua Hospital, our Taupo Hospital, our Starship, I think they're doing a fantastic job and they're doing the job that they've been asked to do really well. So my, my rethink is really around primary care, which is general practice and community-based care. That's where I think we need to make the changes. Well, maybe, first of all, we should just lay out the ground of how it is at the moment at the uh, at the general practice end, because that's the interface, the initial interface that uh, folk have with the health system if they end up at it eventually. So you made the point about hospitals and, and that level, and that kind of is the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, really, if you, you want to categorize it somehow, because people are in a state where they have to go to that level. So how does it work at the moment, Glenn, just to remind us? Yeah, so... 
Every New Zealander is asked to be enrolled with a general practice if they can, and that general practice is bulk funded to look after that cohort of people. So, so the model is called capitation. Uh, the model was to give more flexibility uh, to allow individual practices to look after their individual population, being aware that different communities have different um, needs. So it was designed to provide flexi flexibility and and sort of more, oh, I don't know, more individual responses. Um, but I don't think it's worked. And I think the reason it hasn't worked is that it is set up to hoard people, you know, to keep them within the system. And I think the fundamental thing that needs to change is that we need to discharge people and return them to self-management, to return them to the community where they continue to look after themselves. And so can I just develop that a little bit more? If you look at a hospital, let's say um, tomorrow, Paul, you got appendicitis, you would be admitted to hospital because you're not able to self-manage that. That's a condition that requires expert help. So you go into hospital, you have your appendix removed. Uh, a few days later, you're discharged and you're well again and you continue to self-manage. That does not happen in general practice. In general practice, you enter and you never leave. And I think that's the fund fundamental thing I'd like to change. I would like to change it so that you only enter general practice when you have a problem, that problem is addressed, and then you leave and continue to self-manage again. So just um, the reason for that is I think we need to go all the way back and redefine what health is. So health is not the absence of disease. Health, a much better definition of health is the ability to adapt and self-manage in the, face of, in the face of the challenges that life throws at us. That is a much better definition of health. And if we use that definition, then most people would be in the community, most people would be self-managing, and they only access general practice when they've got a problem to be solved. Yeah, this hoarding thing that you talked about just before and sort of, uh, I don't know, encouraging some sort of dependency to always be in a system is that just the way it evolved or is there, I mean, what are the drivers of that, you know, to want to, to keep it once they're in, keep them in? Oh. Yeah. Um, I think it's because you're bulk, bulk funded or capitated, you need to have that volume of people to apply for the funding to look after them. That's what I'd like to change. I would, how I'd like it to work is the general practices are, well, actually, how would I ideally like it to work? I'd like you to be paid each time you cured someone. So each time someone presents with a problem. On results. And, they, and they're cured, then you get paid. You know, not being rewarded, it appears that you're rewarded for keeping people sick. And if they were to leave, you would get less funding. You know, how about we turn that around? If you cure someone because you're a really good doctor who interacts well with that patient and provides really high service care, they would leave and you would get funded for that person. Can I tell you a little story? I um, Someone has said, in your business, your new business, Reversal NZ, how many people do you have registered? And I said, none. I've got none registered because I make them all better. And, you know, that's not actually quite correct, but that's what I would like. I would like to think 
that everyone that comes into our service leaves six months later or a year later because the problem they presented with has been fixed. That's the ideal system, and that's what I'd like to see funded. You know what's going to happen there, though, Glenn, is that there are a lot, a lot of, a lot of people in the system working in the system are going to. Well, that's going to be very challenging for them. Number one, but it could actually mean many squeezed out of that system um, by the measure you've just mentioned, and that doesn't go well with the business model. <laughs> no, right? it doesn't. So I think it's two tiered. It's like you are registered with the general practice but you're only funded when you're involved in a program designed to reverse a disease or to actively manage that disease. You know, So for example, rather than just coming in and having your diabetes medicines uh, you know, renewed every three months, your hypertension medicines reviewed every month, you actually get funded if you enter a program and you actively manage that, that problem with the intention of reversing it, so you can leave and return to self-management and health. That's what I'd like to see. So general practice is funded for running programs that are designed to improve people's health. Yeah, but you'd have to compensate any, to, to get the buy-in, I'm thinking, you'd have to compensate or show a way of compensating for any loss of income under the old way of doing things, wouldn't you? You would. Yes, you would. You, you, you have to ensure that general practices are well-funded. I guess I'm I'm talking about a, a philosophical change, no, I understand a, way, yep. a way that we look at health differently and a way that we encourage the system to encourage health not to perpetuate illness. So time spent is important, and we talked about that last time we chatted. Uh, the 15-minute the consultation it just doesn't cut it in this, uh, this way of doing things, right? No, it, it and it, it it doesn't and it never has and it never will. You know, fifteen minutes is long enough to introduce yourself to someone. Uh, it's not long enough to take a comprehensive history, or to to create rapport, to take a comprehensive history, to perform a detailed examination, to come up with a diagnosis, to discuss the diagnosis, to prescribe treatment and to decide how that treatment, or, you know, discuss the treatment options, decide on a treatment, and then work out follow-up. You know, that cannot happen in 15 minutes. It, it is impossible. With the system, I think we decompress it, and then if someone needs half an hour, if someone needs an hour, there's the opportunity to provide that time. Yeah, you're going to need at least half an hour, aren't you? Closer to an hour to get a full picture. How important is history? How important is the person's history? Everything. I guess that depends on age, right? No, everything. And, and the old adage is 90% of the answers are in the history. I would say it's close to 100% if you actually listen. You know, if you take the time and you allow people to give you detail and give you what they think, then I think it's almost 100% of the time the answer is in the history. There must be moments like for you that you can remember where someone said a particular thing and you've thought, ah, right, okay, yeah. I get it now, and then you're on to something, right? Every, virtually every time the, the client will tell me the answer if I listen. And if I listen with that, with intuition, if I listen in an inquisitive way, and if I ask um, questions that ask people to expand 
on the history, not these closed questions, these yes or no questions. You'll never find the answer to a complex problem asking those questions. Are, are people sort of of a mind to, you know, go through, talk honestly about their history? Because um, you can feel, and I've felt this before um, in the medical system where you kind of don't want to reveal that you might not have treated your body in the in the best way. And you've got to admit that, you know, you might have had some bad habits or whatever. And then that, you know, speaks to the sort of person you are. And you might want to minimize all that. And there's a sort of incentive to not fess up completely. In the end, I found it's just best to fess up. I've done this, 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 and this. Make of it what you will. And then we're on to it. But you must find that from time to time. Yeah. And that's why creating relationship right at the beginning is important. Uh, you know, like giving person the person the opportunity to share something of who they are, give their papa. But equally, the doctor needs to share a little bit about who they are. You know, this, this creation of relationship is what builds trust. And nobody is going to reveal the deepest secrets until that trust has been created. And that in itself may take 15 minutes. Yeah, I remember when I was in for my heart thing, there was one particular cardiologist who came around and he was eminent, but he, he was very, very judgy. <laughs> and it didn't make me feel too much better, I got to say. But anyway, just, just remembering that. Okay, so the big challenge, let's say there was a, you know, come to Jesus moment in, in health in New Zealand, government top, top down kind of way. And, and, They've, you know, been looking at uh, the way that Glenn Davies would would do this, and they they decide, yeah, this is the way to go. Okay, that's one thing, but what you've got to do, and and you can't spend too long doing it because you've got to maintain an effective health system either way, all the way through. Can you envisage a transition and how that would work? Yeah, I I think there'd be a quite a few things. First of all. I think general practitioners need to realise that this is good for them as well. And there's recently been a workforce uh, survey. It showed that so um, there were 3,488 GPs who responded to the survey. 1,212 of them said that they intend to retire in the next five years. So that was 37% intend to retire in the next five years, and they're not likely to be replaced. But what was even worse in that survey was when you looked at the burnout statistics. So 48%, so half of the respondents said that they had severe burnout. So the scale was a zero to 10, and nearly 50% of them said that they scored seven, eight, nine, or 10 on that scale. And then when you added the ones that scored four to six, which was moderate burnout, it added up to 79%. So, you know, you know, four out of five GPs are significantly burnt out and that's not sustainable in itself. So what I'm talking about is good for the general practitioners as well because you actually get your meaning and purpose back. You know, we're, we're there to help people. We love the relationship we form with people, but the system is not, in, not allowing us to be good at what we do because there's not enough time so let's decompress the system and then it's good for the general practitioners you know that that burnout I'm, I'm not sure if it's something you've ever experienced Paul but that feeling of being overwhelmed not coping is is, is about as bad as a, a feeling gets in the workplace you know and if we think that that's how four out of five of general practitioners are feeling 
you know, something really has to change. That system is falling apart. I have experienced that, but I've moved on and 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 in the same business, but done something different, and that's kind of been okay. But I guess in the health system, you can't just um, like say, "Oh, I'll quit being a GP here, but go over there," because it's the same thing again, right? You're right, and and I think general practitioners have a real integrity and desire to help. I think they're unlikely to leave unless things get really bad, but I think things are getting really bad. So, okay, setting up for, let's say there was a transition to this and it would be it would be over a period of time, wouldn't it? You can't just snap your fingers here. What sort of time span do you think um, would be involved? What, like, like a decade? Yeah, I, th- I think it would, it would take a decade. And as, as you mentioned, it would take top-down change. But I think if we change the funding model, uh, that would make a world of difference. So we fund general practices to run programs with the intention of people coming in, like they do to hospital, they come in, they take part in the program, and then they leave again. So part of that transition is let's we need to improve the community services so that people have more support to self-manage in the community. So what I'd love to do is I'd give far more responsibility to pharmacists. You know, these people have degrees. They shouldn't be just dishing out pills. You know, they should be given a whole lot more responsibility. So say you've got someone with high blood pressure and all they need is to repeat, have their blood pressure checked and repeat their blood pressure medicine. That doesn't have to happen in general practice. That should be happening at the pharmacy. Let's let the pharmacist manage that. Let's let the pharmacist do repeat asthma medications. Let's the pharmacist repeat diabetes medicines. And those are for the people that just want to continue with medication. But say you go, no, I want to reverse my diabetes. Then you move into general practice, into a program for a year. And at the end of that, the program is finished and you go back to self-managing in the community. And the second group, which I think needs to be really expanded, is the district nursing service. You know, they are in the community. They know the people. They go into their homes. Let's expand that service. And they don't all have to be nurses. You know, there are... I think what we need to change is this idea that you have to be a doctor to do this, you have to be a pharmacist to do that or a nurse to do this. I think we can blur those roles a little bit. And with training, we can get um, carers that go into people's homes to give lifestyle advice. You know, we, we can expand that a whole lot more. And if we've got district nurses in the community and pharmacists in the community, general practitioners can then do this active management of these conditions, make the people better. Takes the pressure off, in other words. That's a decompression thing that you're, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking now funding because that's the other thing that everybody says. It's potentially a black hole health. that You can throw everything at it and still it, it could cost you more. So we have to be able to afford it. So just thinking about, you know, uh, establishing what, you know, your dream situation would be and phasing it in while we operate the current system at the level it is for at least a while anyway. Would that? Do you think that would involve new money or just sort of no. like reallocating existing budget? How do, you, how do you see that? No, give the existing budget, but look for new funding opportunities. And I think one of those big ones is insurance companies. You know, wouldn't it cost the insurance company less 
if the person no longer had hypertension and diabetes. You know, so if we can actually cure these problems or pick them up early or prevent them from happening, then that's going to be good for everyone. So I think insurance companies are a potential funding source. And then another potential funding source are iwi. You know, there's there's a an opportunity through some of the trusts to fund some of these initiatives for trust members. So I think those are new funding opportunities. And then also, if maybe, you know, I don't think we should take any money away from hospitals, but some of these functions that are currently happening in hospital, like diabetes clinics, if we decompress general practice, that can happen in the general practice setting. So therefore, perhaps there's a transference of some of that money into general practice. So my answer to the question is, I don't think it would cost more and I think it would cost less. And the reason I think it would cost less is we'd actually start curing some people and they would leave the system and return to self-managing in the community, which costs nothing. And that, that involves building resilience and it involves people actually getting well, getting cured. So you know how I talked about insulin resistance last time and I said that in the United States, 89% of US of all US adults have some manifestation of insulin resistance. That's just the way we're eating and our lifestyle. So that could be changed. And if we made an impact on that statistic, think how less hypertension, less ischemic heart disease, less diabetes, less heart attacks we would have. You know, that's got to decompress the system. So I'm talking about people no longer being in the health system they're in the community self-managing. So what are you talking about? Because it doesn't happen now. And over the COVID thing, there were other strategies to maintain you know, resilience against viruses. Uh, and it seemed that um, uh, obesity, BMI, um, had something to do with that. Yet no one said a bloody thing. Yeah. So that's our starting point. And you've got then the food industry lobby, one of the most powerful lobbies in the world. Some of the things that have to be overcome are daunting, right? Yes, they are. However, education, you know, people really want this information that it's easy to grasp that we shouldn't be eating sugar, we shouldn't be drinking soft drinks, we shouldn't be having ultra-processed food. People get that message very, very easily. And, and I've been able to prove that they get it easily because you know we've now had over 170 people who have reversed their diabetes and pre-diabetes, a group with 400 members in Taupo and the wider community who get all this messaging. So it's not hard, it's not complicated. And I think that's what will beat the other influence that you're talking about, the this big business that is only interested in profit, it does not have um, wellness and health as an outcome. It's only profit. You mentioned iwi before. That's an interesting point because that could be an on-ramp to the system, couldn't it? Because uh, there's a disproportionate health, negative health outcomes for Māori, as I understand, and even in Pacifica compared to the rest of the community. I don't know how disproportionate it is, but we hear that. So any, any uptick in health is going to be easily discernible from that sector, which could then be used as a persuasion tool, if you, if you will, to showcase it to the rest of the population and for policymakers to see how it works. Is, is there something in that, do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think Māori will lead 
this new definition of health because Maori understand health. Maori understand that we are more than our physical selves. Uh, Maori understand, you know, the Tafari Tapafa model. I'm not sure if I spoke about that last time, but we are our physical selves, our emotional selves, our whanau selves, and our spiritual selves. Whereas medicine really just or predominantly views the physical self. Maori understand this concept of lifestyle medicine. They understand this concept of environment. You know, we have to have meaning and purpose. We need spirituality. We are not individuals. We're connected to everything. Uh, whānau and relationships and community is just as important as our physical health. You know, so I think Māori will lead this change and they will demonstrate it. And I think there are opportunities for them to fund part of it. Yeah, they can make it happen, right? They've got resources that they can dedicate to that where it would be more difficult in the general sense to argue the case. Um, it's an election year uh, this year. I don't think you're going to hear too many um, health policies like this, but if, in your thinking, if a political party was to pitch a health policy that included this, how do you think it would go down with the electorate? I think it would be... I'm not putting my hand up to be a member of parliament. Uh, that that would be a, a job way beyond me. But um, this makes perfect sense and everyone wants to be well. You know, what's happening at the moment is, I'm just talking about the difference between health span and lifespan. You know, what we want is we want our lifespan and our health span to be equal. We want to live until we're 100 and we want to die in our sleep after helping our neighbour um, fixes roof. You know, we want to be well and active right up until our 80s, 90s, 100, and then we want to die in our sleep without any pain, uh, perfect health. That is not happening. On average, people have 10 years of terrible health before they die. You know, that's what we want to avoid. And this concept of wellness and health avoids that from happening. So this is what everyone wants. And I think as a health policy, it's not hard to sell because you are giving people the opportunity to have health, which is what everyone wants. Okay, and the alternative, stick with the current system and it you know, it keeps chugging along. Where do we end up? We, we can't stick with the current system because, you know, those statistics I was talking about, about the General Practice Health Survey, that is not sustainable. That system is about to fall over. It is broken it is about to fall over and it's cruel to treat anybody like that. You know, it's cruel to create a system and maintain a system which is harming the people working in it as, as this current system is. You know, this, this needs to change. It's not sustainable. It's not helping the people in it. And it's definitely not helping the clients or the patients. You know, it must change. And I think this type of system will work. And the reason I think it will work is because I've demonstrated that it will work. You know, we've been running our private general practice clinic for 18 months. It's called Reversal NZ, and it does work. You know, people are reversing their chronic disease and leaving and returning to the community to self-manage. You know, they they are leaving with health. And just, just a little example, I run a support group for people who are uh, using complementary treatments to for their cancer. And these people generally have stage four cancer, so metastatic cancer. And they are, 
This sounds ironic. They are the most well group of people that I know. They have stage four cancer and they are beaming with health because they have autonomy, they are researching, they're using all sorts of different treatments in conjunction with the mainstream treatment. And they are alive and vibrant, vitality, energy. And I'm going, you are the most well group of people I've said, I've seen, and you have got stage four cancer. You know, the, the fact that you are self-managing and alive with learning, you know, that that is fantastic. So I, I've demonstrated that this works. I know it works. I know it's good for me because, you know, I used to feel like that as well when I was working in mainstream general practice. Now I'm just alive and enthusiastic and, as you can probably tell, passionate. You know, that is not the way I used to be. <laughs> yeah, if we interviewed you at an earlier time, you would have been all flattened down. And... Yeah, yeah. All right. it stinks. Give us some more money. We need more staff. We need more money. Uh, we need less patients. I don't know what to do about it. You know, that's not how I feel now. And and just to finish up, I'm thinking while you're explaining that, that there's then the training and education of doctors, and Mm -hmm. that's geared to the current system, I would imagine, and, again, has a whole lot of baggage history, if you want to call it that, with it. You're going to have to reinvent that too, aren't you? Yeah, and I think you've just put your finger on what would be the biggest challenge because the pharmaceutical industry has a massive influence over every level of health, you know, all the way up from the WHO, uh, medical journals, peer review, university syllabuses, you know, medical students, all the way through, you know, it will be very, very hard to fight against their influence. And that will be what causes these changes not to happen. I remember back when the Labor government came in in 84, they had an economic summit in Parliament. Everybody sat down. I don't know if it was a showpiece, but that's what they did. It was televised, went, I think, for a number of days. In fact, I've got Richard Preble on uh, soon, so I'll ask him about it, and, and he'll, he'll tell us about it. But, um, the, the, you know, it was right in front of the nation. We've got a problem. Here's what we've got to do. They had all sorts of eminent speakers from every angle, if I remember right. It's quite a, a time back now. And it was kind of presented to the nation. Now, how much of a difference that made in selling the economic changes that, that were delivered back then, I, I can't recall. But it must have had some impact because it was, you know, it was a big event. I'm wondering if the same is needed for health. It's a fantastic that is an absolutely wonderful idea. I, w- I would love to see that happen. In front of the people, all the power people there, all the experts on all sides there, all get to, to have their say, and everybody gets to watch it and make a judgment. Yeah. I love that idea. I, I'm not a political animal, and all that I can do personally is that I can run this business, Reversal NZ, we can offer these programs, we can listen to people, we can give them time, we can help them, we can improve their health, they can then return to health in the community and self-manage. I can demonstrate that. Um, I hope that there's many, many other health professionals that are doing a similar thing. And together, politicians can look at what we're doing and say, hey, that works. 
you know, or that didn't work or an aspect of that worked. You know, I think so all I can do is demonstrate uh, that that there is a better way. Uh, it's up to the politicians to make those changes. But they have to feel that the public, there's enough pressure out there in the public to make it happen because you know how politicians work, right? Yeah. They they respond to the pressure, they res- respond to the polls. Okay, so a better vision of the primary healthcare system, uh, according to Dr. Glenn Davies of Tulpo. You could have started something here, Glenn. You might end up being in the, I don't know, the, the Doctor's Hall of Fame or something, um, <laughs> you know, in, in decades from now. So let's just run through it again. Time, number one, right? Time. Number one, yes. Cure. Cure, yes. And, and that street talk's the best advertising. If you've got a whole bunch of people who are cured, they're going to tell their friends, right, who are already still taking the pills and, hey, you know, forget that. Do what I did. I'm, I'm, I'm cured. You can see me. That's, that's great street talk. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then, and then fund, fund outcomes, fund the number of cures, and don't try and keep people sick. Don't fund ill health. Fund health. Hmm. It's a lot to think about. And, you know, every now and then it comes a time where you have to reinvent your institutions. Uh, I mean, it's happened before. It'll happen again. And uh, and this could be one of them. When? Who knows? But uh, I think people can see how that would work now. Thanks, uh, Glenn, for describing that. And let's see what people say and let's see if it gets any traction. Have you got plans to keep pushing this to keep this, um, well, I mean, this is part of it, you know, we're talking about it out there in public, but to, you know, sort of crank the handle even more because you're going to have to, you know that, eh? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I'm hoping this grows organically, that that our clinic becomes increasingly popular uh, because this is good for the doctors as well. More doctors will join, um, more clients will be treated, and this will just grow into a, a bigger movement. And then I hope that the general practices will go, well, that really works. We could do some of this. And I, I hope that over the 10-year time frame that you've described, we will see a transition from general practices just prescribing medicines to prescribing lifestyle interventions where people actually get better and return to the community in health. Dr. Glenn Davies, good to catch up with you one more time. Thank you for laying that all out for us. As I say, let's see um, if people start talking about this, it becomes something. You've sold me, and I, and I tell you you've sold me because I have experienced a couple of very um, serious medical events in my life that could have taken me out both times, stage four cancer. I, I basically had it, so I know about that. And uh, the most recent one did have me thinking about um, the way they were treating me. And, uh, and looking into it. I'm not saying that, you know, I was pushing back against it, but at least I started thinking about it because before it was just automatic. You turn up, you get the thing, go away. And even the placebo of that kind of made you feel better for a couple of days, but not that long. So, so I've been thinking about this as well. So really good to chat with you. And if I've got uh, any problems, I think I'll come and see you. <laughs> It'll be an absolute pleasure to uh, see you. The, the problem is I will be handing it all back to you. You know, I'll be saying, uh, what are you going to do, Paul? Well, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I don't mind, you know, I take responsibility. All right. Um, we'll catch up again sometime, I'm sure. Dr. Glenn Davies, thanks for being on RCR again. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.